Warning, the following show doesn't represent the opinion of CIBL, its employees, or the local clown college. Hi, this is Jody Emery, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a Well, out of the lunar base of CIVL 101.7 FM, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and if it wasn't for this radio show, I'd probably be climbing the Empire State Building and swatting at planes right now. <laughs> Joining me as usual is the team Batman Wish He Had instead of that puny Justice League. Our chronic countess constantly recollecting the chronicles of chronology, Nancy. Holy cow. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Our wizard Wonder Woman, whose wholesome ways will bewilder you, Martina. I'm so pleased to be here. Our bright bulb with bulging bicep building balmas for brains, Tyler. Give me coffee. <laughs> and finally, returning to rescue these rogues of reason with rational reports, our friend Connie. Hi. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you so much. Guys, had a great week. How about you guys? Sure. Oh, I had a great week until this rainy, rainy, rainy Sunday when I'd really like if it wasn't for you guys i'd be taking a big nap for the, rest of the <laughs> afternoon hey i was actually going out there on uh, my motorcycle course and uh, riding in the rain and thank god for the great teachings of uh, mike and kevin there at uh, v2n school and plug for them 826 bike by the way uh, great teachers and thank god for that because otherwise i'd probably be squashed under a semi by now a <laughs> little bit of chit chat um did you guys see the uh, last uh, show we had, uh, of course, Jody Emery, and uh, we talked about the whole marijuana thing. Did you guys see the re- media reaction to 420? I sure sure did, and it, it wasn't pleasant, was it? No, no, it, it certainly wasn't. Um, there was a lot of uh, talking about whether or not the, uh, the smoking in Vancouver was more of a festival versus a protest. And, um, I mean, I could totally understand where Jody was going with that, uh, un- Personally, I feel that until it's actually legal, I think it's a protest. Uh, and although it's on the verge of being legal, it still isn't. So this might be the last year where she might be able to consider this a protest and not a festival. Well, uh, when I was I was listening to uh, Simi Sarah, and she made the point that at a protest, do you have vendors selling things? And she felt that the, the presence of vendors there made it more of a festival mm. than, a, than a protest. An interesting debate for sure. But it I was, don't know, at a protest, wouldn't there be somebody selling T-shirts? <laughs> yeah, you know? right. so, so I don't know. But it, it's interesting the arguments that people will come up with to make make a point i understand the point i just don't know whether it's it's valid or not yeah but. so does the commercial selling of goods make a protest or not it was not exactly. a protest it was not a protest oh okay no you don't think so nope i have very very i can have this this is not working what is it working yeah it is working um my uh teenage daughter skipped school that day and she went downtown without me knowing about it and it was not a protest. She said there was partying happening and, and smoking everywhere. And it was, they weren't protesting. Hmm. Yeah. How come, come, come you guys can hear them? How's that? Is that better? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Better? With the mics, apparently. No, no, they can't hear me. Oh, really? That's interesting. 
Well, you're going to have to adjust the sound on that little blue box there. Um, on top of that, uh, there was also the bad news of uh, a Bangladeshi professor that was actually killed again. Hacked to death. death. Yeah, in, uh, in Bangladesh. But this one is different because it was actually claimed by ISIS. Now, the uh, government, the local government is saying, no, ISIS is not in Bangladesh. ISIS is saying, yes, we are. Who do we believe? I don't know. But it's certainly not a good place to be if you're uh, a free thinker in Bangladesh right now. And on top of that, Connie, since you're back, we did a show a couple, uh, well, a little while ago, talk about Alzheimer's, and you got an announcement. Yeah, just so, can we hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. No? Go ahead. Okay, okay. so uh, we have our Alzheimer's Walk coming up on Sunday, May 1st. It will be all over BC. Uh, there is one in Abbotsford. I'm not too sure where the location is. It is sponsored by Investors Group. My walk there we go. My walk will be on Sunday, well, Sunday, May 1st at the Burnaby Lake Pavilion, uh, located at 6871 Robert Street. If you happen to be in that area, please, please, please come out and support the walk. Uh, all the monies raised will go to the Alzheimer's Society of British Columbia. Uh, to date, uh, last year, the whole province raised uh, $750,000. Last year, my city, we raised 25000 And as of yesterday... You might have thrown some of that cash this way. You know? Oh, yeah, God. Um, as of um, Friday morning, the last time I checked, before our walk here in Burnaby, we have already raised about 15000 So we're hoping the day of the walk to add another fifteen grand to make our grand total thirty. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got the mayor of Burnaby and New Westminster coming out to support us. We have constables coming out in their garb to walk. Uh, it's going to be a lot of great fun. So I hope to see every single person here. And uh, <laughs> I sent you guys all my link to support money or to send money. And I have not seen a single penny from any of you. We, we work in a radio station. What do you expect? Do um, you think we make any money? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I'm <laughs> blind. I get off the hook for, them for walks. <laughs> Uh, so please, 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 whoever's listening, please, please um, come out to the walk to any of the locations. They'll be advertised all this week um, on, on the media, in the local newspapers. Uh, support any of the walks. Uh, my walk will be number one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am the captain of the committee uh, and I have a lot riding on this, but I need support and I need to see a lot of walkers out there. I oh. had no idea she was doing high-pressure sales, was she? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Should I open my wallet now? Yeah. Did you I, not hear the show last week? I think week? you better they, open it before she grabs it. <laughs> did you not hear the show last week? They cured Alzheimer's. You just smoke pot. Oh, just smoke pot. That's, that's <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> Julie Amory assured us of that. Uh, all right, Nancy, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Let's set you up. All right, let's hit it. For this day in history... Which, as we all know, is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between April 18th and the 24th. And April 18th is Invention Day in Japan. Oh my God, that's going to be big. <laughs> that's a big day. The Jap Japanese are known for something, it's inventing stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to do a little something different. Usually I cover a lot of different events, at least one sports story and one from Texas to, to, to keep my, my average of bizarre up. But um, <laughs> actually on the 18th, a, a really interesting event happened having to do with um, the Pentecostalism. And I got so intrigued that I'm going to devote uh, quite a bit of 
time because the, the beginnings of any religion, I think, are interesting. But this one, I think, um, it, I'm sure many of our listeners are aware of it, especially if they come from a Pentecostal background. But um, most of it was brand new to me, and I hope it'll be interesting for everybody else, too. Pentecostal? The Pentecostal. Those are the ones speaking in tongues, right? The, the, those are them. And in, <laughs> those are them. Um, in 1906, the Los Angeles Times story on the Azusa Street Revival launched Pentecostalism as a worldwide movement, so they can actually trace it back to an actual place and an actual event. Uh, going into Pentecostalism or classical Pentecostalism, it's a renewal movement within Protestant Christianity that places special emphasis on a direct personal experience of God through baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the term Pentecostal is derived from Pentecost, which is the Greek name for Jewish Feast of Weeks. Um, For Christians, the event commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the followers of Jesus Christ as described in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Moving on up to 1900, there was an interesting man named Charles Parnum. He was an American evangelist and a faith healer, and he began teaching uh, that speaking in tongues was the Bible evidence of spirit baptism. That his belief was that when you spoke in tongues, you had to speak, or people who were speaking uh, would speak in a recognizable language. And that became a split in Pentecostalism later on, but that that started as uh, something that, that Parnum advocated. Maybe because they can't understand each other, these people. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> um, William J. Seymour was the second person on on the scene and he was really an interesting guy he was an african-american preacher uh he had almost died from smallpox regained uh, the sight in one eye but became blind in the other and he attributed the uh his survival directly to his faith and so he took this, the teachings of uh, speaking in tongues to Los Angeles, and he was a actually he was a student of Charles Parnum, and Parnum sent him to Los Angeles, where he found a very small, empty, downtrodden little church at 312 Azusa Street, and so he and his growing band of followers conducted services that were spirit-filled and full of people speaking in tongues, shouting, singing, and moaning, and through that. Seymour split with Parnum saying that if you spoke in tongues and it was spirit-filled, that that was okay according to being... Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled, yep. That sounds like an alcoholic thing. That, no, it wasn't an alcoholic thing at all. <laughs> that would explain the, the speaking in tongue, you know, yeah, you, like exactly, too drunk. Exactly. So the... Is- The Azusa Street Revival was a historic Pentecostal revival meeting, and that was the origin of Pentecostal movement uh, here in in North America. So from 1906, it continued to 1915. And the revival was characterized by ecstatic spiritual experiences accompanied by miracles, dramatic worship services, speaking in tongues, and interracial mingling, which was which was unusual for the time because um, while Seymour was a uh, was African American, one of the things that he really wanted was equality of the races, and he stressed that. Whereas Parnum 
who originally um, was the first Pentecostal, um, was really against it. And so this began a split between the two men uh, in, in terms not only of their speaking in tongues, but also their, their approach to um, uh, interracial uh, meetings as well. So the participants were strongly criticized by the secular media and Christian theologians for behaviors considered to be outrageous and unorthodox. But today, the revival is considered by historians to be the primary catalyst for the spread of Pentecostalism in the 20th century. This is what I found really interesting. Um, The Los Angeles Observer um, reported on the goings-on at uh, Azusa Street Church, and the reporter there said, no instruments of music are used, none are needed, no choir, the angels have been heard by some in the spirit, no collections are taken, no bills have been posted to advertise the meetings, no church organization is back of it. All who are in touch with God realize as soon as they enter the meetings that the Holy Ghost is the leader. So now, the Los Angeles Times gave their description, which was not so kind. And they said, this is like the difference between uh, MSNBC and Fox News. <laughs> really is. Well, you know, I'm not sure there's uh, much of a difference anymore. Oh, uh, yeah. So th- the Los Angeles Times said, Meetings are held in a tumble-down shack on Azusa Street, and the devotees of the weird doctrine practice the most fantastical rites, preach the wildest theories, and work themselves into a state of mad excitement in their particular zeal. African Americans and a sprinkling of whites compose the congregation, and night is made hideous in the neighborhood by the howlings of the worshipers who spend hours swaying forth and back in a nerve-wracking attitude of prayer and supplication. They claim to have the gift of tongues and be able to understand the babble. But to the sober mind, all this is errant tomfoolery. We don't hear tomfoolery. No, right? no. no. It's a great this is word. very well written, actually. It is, I like it. Yeah, and it is beyond understanding that any intelligent person can be caught in such a senseless entanglement of religious mania. One visit to the place is enough to disgust any thoughtful person, and the more light of day that is turned upon it, the less people will have to do with it, even though they be plain folk with little education, biblical or otherwise. Wow. Wow, yeah. But I I think both aspects are are pretty much alive and well today, I think, in reporting, depending on on what side uh, you are in terms of, of, of religion. Yes. So today, since the 1960s, Pentecostalism has increasingly gained acceptance from other Christian uh, traditions. And um, the uh, charismatic movement um, and the, Penteco- the charismatic movement and Pentecostal, which, which are, similar, are similar, they number over 500 million adherents. What? 500 really? million. And today, the 312 Azusa Street is a little alley in in uh, the Tokyo uh, Japanese section of Los Angeles, but there's a marker, and they plan to make it a historic site. Wow! Yeah. So some of the some of the churches that are considered Pentecostal are Assemblies of God, Church of God in Christ, Church of God in Cleveland, Tennessee, International Church of the Four Square Gospel, which was Amy Semple. McPherson, International Pentecostal Holiness Church, and United Pentecostal Church International. 
So it's interesting. A lot of interesting yeah, stuff you actually there. went through a lot there. Yeah. Okay, April 20th, moving away from Pentecostalism, way away. Thank you. April the 20th was 420. And uh, in uh, Vancouver, it was at Sunset and Beach. It was a blue haze of blue smoke haze, over Vancouver yeah. that day. And on that uh, on that day, Trudeau uh, mentioned that he was going to start legalization of uh, marijuana. So a lot of happened on the twentieth. Mm-hmm. The twenty first was the Queen's birthday. Uh, April twenty second was a full day, Earth Day, uh, and the first day of Passover for our Jewish friends. And to end on, uh, on a note that is befitting the reason why we are, we are here on the radio, April 23rd is Openly Secular Day. Ooh. Ooh. And, yay. And that's a, a, a celebration of secular people opening up about their secular worldview and an opportunity for theistic allies to show their support for secular friends and family. It's a day to help others understand our values and how we think. And you can participate by attending a local event, making a video, posting on social media, or you can get involved in some other ways like having your own radio That's show. right. You hear that, Radio Land? There get secular. Go. Get moving. <laughs> get secular. And you can also visit um, the, um, the Dawkins and CFI website to see what's, what's going on uh, with them. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual and more often than not, bizarre events that make up this day in history. <laughs> Thank you very much, Thanks, Nancy. Nancy. <laughs> and we'll be right back right after this. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. You are listening to CIVL 101.7 FM at the University of the Fraser Valley's Abbotsford campus, serving the surrounding communities of Abbotsford, Mission, and Chilliwack, British Columbia. Email us at info at civl.ca. Follow us on Facebook. Click like on CIVL Radio. Follow CIVL on Twitter at CIVL underscore radio. A Canadian, a New Yorker, and a Southern Belle walked into a podcast. And all hell broke loose. Seriously, though, what happens when we three ladies get together? Well, definitely a lot of talking. And accents. Funny accents. Well, I don't have an accent, but my co-hosts sure do. We mix North, South, and the Great White North together for two hours of pure secular discussion. Nothing is off-limits. From goofy religions like Scientology, woo like ghost hunting and alternative medicine, to hardcore history, hermeneutics, sex, and science, we cover it all. What the heck is a hermeneutic? Well, it's not a guy named Herman who sings falsetto, that's for sure. Join Beth, Ashley, and myself, Deborah, every Monday night at 9.30pm Eastern, and we take you beyond the trailer park and bring the conversation to life. 
Join us live on YouTube and participate in the conversation via the Q&A system, or catch us later on Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Nobex. Visit www.beyondthetrailerpark.com for links to the show and our upcoming schedule. Bring your wine and sweet tea and settle in for fun facts and free thinking. We happily wear the explicit tag, though, so make sure to wash out your mouth with something tasty before listening. That's live at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Come give us a like and a share, no matter what type of accent you have. Sorry about that. We just went to the wrong button there. Okay. So today, we're doing a show on childhood obesity. We were supposed to do that a few weeks ago. Now, how confident are you, dear? I'm good. You want to go right ahead into it? I thought you had something else to talk about. We can. No, you go first. You go first. Okay. Fine, then. (laughs) This show is really getting off the rails today. It's like not following (laughs) schedule at all. That's okay. Well, that promo you just heard there, that is actually Beyond the Trailer Park. It's actually a podcast out of Ontario. And Deborah there will be our guest next week. So, we're looking forward to listening to her. Yeah, that sounded really interesting. Yeah, oh yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting podcast and uh, might have to tell her to tone it down because on podcasts you can do or say whatever you want. But on the radio airwaves you might have to. <laughs> so, are you saying that I'm not going to be seeing you at my walk? What, next week? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to split myself into two now. Uh, All's good. All's well, good. while I'm thinking about it, we'll go with, with our usual... Another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Yes, the weird and wacky world of religion once again. Now, did you guys know this is great, great news, by the way? You know, if you're a fan of archaeology or uh, paleontology, you'll love this. Apparently, leading creationists claim that Stonehenge was built by a race of giants created by Satan to destroy Israel. Did you guys know that? Nope. Hey, I know. While appearing on the Jim Baker show earlier this month, Dennis Lindsay, a PhD, (laughs) a leading figure in the area of creation science, that's an oxymoron, made his argument that Stonehenge was built by a race of giants created by Satan. Televangelist Jim Baker invited Dr. Lindsay on his program to discuss Lindsay's latest discovery of the mysterious field of creation science. So he told, uh, is it Backer? I've been calling him Baker. I guess it's Backer. That's still no, no, it's Baker. It's Baker? Okay. Yeah, yeah, there are the two Ks there, yeah, but two it's Ks. Baker. Okay. No, it's Baker. All right, thank you. You're welcome. That Stonehenge was built by giants who were created by Satan, and those giants were tools of the devil who wanted to destroy Israel. So speaking of Satan, Lindsay said, he's out to destroy God's creation and his whole plan of redemption and contaminate contaminate the human race. I'm not sure how you do that. Contaminate the human race. We're so pure, right? <laughs> Lindsay explained that Satan wanted to have his own seed and make his own family, so he created a race of giants who would attack Israel. So then Lindsay told Baker, he, Satan, built his little squatter hut up there on the Temple Mount. You know that temple because he knows what the Bible says about the place. I weave through why and what the evidence is for giant beings on this earth. We all know about Stonehenge, right? That's just one of hundreds of hundreds of gigantic places around the world that testify to some sort of supernatural power of giants that were involved in construction. So if you cannot find a job in construction today, that is why. (laughs) There is a height requirement. 
I mean, that's that, it's, that's so stupid. Everybody knows that they were built by extraterrestrials that came <laughs> from other planets. You know, I mean, what kind of creation science did he get his degree from Walmart off the shelf? Probably this a Cracker Jack box. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the Easter Island statues and you know they're extraterrestrials. What's this giant stuff? I know, it's it's not a logical Jim Baker, ought to, know, Jim Baker <laughs> ought to know better. He so should. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I think that's how it goes, right? It goes, if you don't know the explanation for something, you blame aliens and then gods and then after that you blame giants alien of the gaps <laughs> have, have you have you heard have you heard of the documentary well, i don't even want to call it that um forbidden documentary for, yeah there you go forbidden archaeology that rings a bell oh it's terrible this guy claims that he found like giant skeletons that are over 10 feet tall yes they're, you see those on facebook they're, on they're, they're, they're 40 million years old and then you say the scientists actually requested to analyze them. They said, oh, no, we're not going to give them to you. You'll hide them. And that, <laughs> and it's a conspiracy. If you Google Smithsonian conspiracy, that's what comes up, is that the Smithsonian had these giant skeletons, and they're hiding them in the basement. Well, no, not even just in the basement. You can just hide them in the exhibit. You know, you'd, the skull is in the capsule of the Apollo 13 mission, and, you know, you can put these bones all over the place. Well, and from, from what I remember, the tallest... Homo sapien fossil ever found was like just over eight feet, and he had massive leg problems. Like when you start getting that big, you start running into problems. Like the giants wouldn't be able to really move if they're over ten feet tall. Are you sure? Maybe he had leg problems because he was working so hard at building the pyramids. <laughs> you know, the, these stones are pretty heavy. You know, so that's why you know, and I don't know why. And for some reason, those giants wanted to destroy Israel too. Which is fantastic, because all these all these giants knew way back then that in 1948 Israel would be formed. Right? They totally knew. <laughs> well, science is so restrictive. When when you have an imagination, you can just go anywhere, anytime, anyplace, and just create whatever facts you want to to fit your imagination. I love it. But it is it is kind of like the UFO people or whatever. They say, oh, there is physical evidence. But they're hiding it from us, whether it be NASA or the Smithsonian. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally hidden. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for that, guys. I, that was a, a good laugh. <laughs> All right. My dearest Connie, you've yes. been gone for a long time. I have. Thank you for being patient. That's okay. Welcome back. Thank you. And today, you're talking about childhood obesity. Must I? But. <laughs> You came all the way here just to just to tell me that? I crossed the bridge just for you. Oh, she yeah. had all the information, but someone hid it. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes, Connie wants to destroy Israel, too. You heard it here it's, first it's on first on CIA. plague on this show. <laughs> all right. Well, Mike is all yours, dear. Okay. Okay. Um, where to start? The beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning. There was Connie. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know me, which is probably the majority of the lower mainland um no I, everybody knows you of course of course um i am an obese woman and i was an obese child i have two younger brothers and one of them is also obese my parents obese so i come from an obese family um so people try to figure out is this genetic is this poor lifestyle is this just overeating and being lazy so i had to start my research somewhere and try to figure out if there is a reason behind it, what can we do about it as parents, as adults, uh, trying to mold our young people to make them healthier in their adulthood? Uh, so some of the information I found 
was was shocking um and i tried to find things that were mainly canadian canadian news wise canadian um we don't care about the states um <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not, no no what she means now for listeners that's i am listening to our show i want to deal more with 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 canadians you want to prioritize on the canadian um, information right and and An this apology is to our american listeners i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i was politically incorrect uh, so I had to start the research somewhere, and the very first piece of of information that I found, which kind of was kind of shocking, um, was one third of Canadians aged two to seventeen are considered overweight or obese, and that's a huge, huge number. Now, I'm going to stop you right there to begin with, right? Because first of all, a lot of people will consider obese. I'm considered obese, right? For my height and my weight, I am considered morbidly obese. It's true. I'm I'm five ten and I weigh about two hundred twenty five, two hundred thirty pounds, right? But I'm a guy that's always in the gym, right? Yeah. Well, it depends so. if it's muscle or not, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I could be squishy at some places. <laughs> <laughs> well, who, whose whose definition? All right, let's let's start. Whose definition of obese are you going to use, and what is it? Yes. What are you talking about? What my source was? Yeah. Well, these are just taking from from the Canadian Population Health Initiative. Okay, so okay. it's the government. Okay, so so the government thinks we're fat. Pretty much. Well, yeah, something we could trim down is the government. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, just just reading that first line that one third of Canadians aged two to seventeen are overweight or obese is 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 a frightening analysis of of the situation. Mm. Um, I have two teenage daughters, and both are probably considered overweight or not probably not ob- obese, but oh, weight, overweight. Your daughters are big. They are big. They're bigger compared to looking at their teenage friends who are the same age, uh, maybe even a little bit shorter than than. I mean, my my youngest daughter, she's quite tall for fourteen. Uh, she has slimmed down in the last two years because she grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, my older daughter, she stopped growing, so she's shorter than her fourteen year old sister. But she had her accident, yes. and she is less mobile now. Um, so which doesn't help. It doesn't help, no. uh, but then you put into into mind uh, depression because of the accident, not being mobile, locking herself in a room, and the best thing for her in her mind is to raid the fridge. So she's a stress eater, which a lot of teenagers are. Um, to this day, as an adult, I'm still a stress eater, an emotional eater. Something bad happens, my life. What do you do? You raid the <laughs> fridge, and where's the box of Oreos? But we're not talking about adults now. I mean, inconceivable. <laughs> But but being being a child that was obese, as a woman now in my forties, there is a trend, and and that's what the statistics show that the likelihood of being obese as an adult is a lot higher if you were obese as a child. And I don't know if I'm living proof. I'm scared for the teenagers, or I'm scared of the two to seventeen year olds who who have the problem now and they don't get it fixed professionally by a nutritionist by by the help of their parents that they're going to be an adult that have the exact same problems and as an obese woman i would not wish that on anybody okay well i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna play uh, devil's advocate here because i like doing that anyway um do we really want to start monitoring kids you know because you know especially as they grow uh, how, how how much monitoring do we want to do we want to put kids on diets no, not diets, but we have to teach them what's right. We have to teach them to eat in moderation. Mm-hmm. We need to teach them to not play on their phones and their iPads and their computers for two hours a day, which every single child seems to be doing. I didn't have these things until I was in my late 30s. Why is are when you I... looking at me? I didn't give you a kid the iPad. <laughs> because you have an iPad there. I have um, to. <laughs> 
they don't know how to play anymore. We played as kids. In the summertime, my parents kicked us out and they would call us for lunch. And if we didn't come back for lunch, well, that was our problem. We came home for dinner and then we were back outside until bedtime. Our kids, nobody's kids, just not mine, they don't know how to do that anymore. I've talked to other parents of, of my age group and they, we all talk about the exact same thing. And weight, they're packing on the weight because they're watching television, they're playing video games, they're texting. Um, they just don't know what to do anymore because you, you take these things away from them and they just sit. They don't know how to move. And I don't know about that. I mean, I, it's true that it seems to be the norm because it's the easy thing to go to. But there was a point that uh, when I was a kid, it used to be the other way around. You were the very skinny kid and the parents, the, the, the parents would say, well, geez, you need to eat some more. And then somebody would say, no, you'll just fill up eventually. No. Right? Okay. So, do, you, do you have access to the internet now, Kevin, or is it not working here still? Uh, well, I have some kind of access. Okay, so this is what I... You, you find what you need to find. Um, okay, so this is what I found out talking about moving. Uh, if overweight kids are not moving less, and if, as other data suggests, they are not necessarily eating more, why are some kids overweight and others not? Um, if the environmental effects are pretty much the same for everyone, why do we even have lean and obese kids? If, if this is not an issue, then we all should be the exact same size. Um, that is a mystery indeed. Well, I'm, I'm going to throw a monkey wrench. Yeah, it, it, we, we live in an era of, of body image. And for girls and for teenagers, sometimes that body image is that if you're five feet tall, you ought to weigh 62 pounds mm -hmm. because that's the way the models are. Oh, yeah. But if you're five feet and you weigh 100 pounds, is that overweight? Is that average for your height? Is that leaning? To, I mean, we get into semantics, and I honestly don't know when you go from being a little overweight to obese. That is there anything where your kids are clearer on on the language so that they don't go from hey you skinny little runt to oh my god you're obese i mean where's where are the limits i i mean even as adults i think they base everything on on the bmi body mass which index. is a terrible way of measuring oh it is it is it is okay um i mean just like kevin said i mean you say that you're obese but you I'm are considered more but obese. your muscle yeah. Your muscle, where I am not muscle. <laughs> I am muscle. <laughs> and they do have it. They do have other ways of measuring BMI. Like they have like a pinch test, and they can like measure your torso and what, which is way way more accurate than you yeah. go into the computer. You type in your age, your gender, your height, your weight. Uh, unfortunately, when you you talk to the insurance industry, they will use the BMI. Right. Well, uh, they also use the Myers Briggs in our government, so yeah, that doesn't really say very much. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, so I'm wondering, are, are, who who labels the kids obese? Is it the doctor then that comes, or is it the the kid who really feels as though you know they're uh, obese compared to? the other skinny well, I think it's a two-way thing I mean kids they look at themselves they look at their their peers and if they see that their peers are, are a rail then of course they're going to call themselves fat obese I'm overweight or whatever and the doctors I guess they would be the ones who would technically give you the term of being obese and not just overweight the doctors told me when I was 14 15 that I'm considered an obese teenager yeah but the doctors didn't set the standard right the standard was actually set uh, and then, then approved by government. The standard that I heard was that 
you qualify, I guess, as obese if you have to lose more than 30 pounds of excess fat. So muscle wouldn't count in that bone height, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was the definition that I found. Well, I've got a fat head, by the way. I'm sure I could lose 30 <laughs> pounds of it. I mean, when you see a six-year-old child who's, you know, two and a half feet tall or three feet, and mm-hmm. they weigh 70, 80, 90 pounds, they, they are. They're morbidly mm-hmm. obese at that point, and you understand that's the problem. But I guess I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with a, a kid who has a, a negative body image being called obese when they they may not be not i'm not discounting movement nutrition anything i'm just wondering at what point but at the same time at the same time as you bring a a very good point the 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 kid is obese now and that kid goes into like a a a growth spur and all of a sudden they 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 kind of stretch you know (laughs) and all of a sudden their weight is way better distributed right right so do we how early do we start tacking something like that onto kids or or do we no, they say at two years old. At two years old is when, when I mean, they have those those um, those percent. When you go in for the baby's checkups at at six <coughs> months old, nine months old, and they say that your baby is in this percentile. Mm-hmm. And my kids were always in the ninety five percentile for height and and their weight. They weren't considered large at six months or a year old or eighteen months. At two years old, though, then they start. This is what the doctor told me: um, not to be careful, but say now your daughter is at the hundred percentile. At the age of two, um, not meaning that they're overeating, but they just could be big boned because I'm big boned and my parents were larger and I have a larger family. It just could be it could be a genetic thing. Yes. So that's when they said at two years old, okay, now kind of start monitoring, maybe take her off of the homo milk and do do this, and of course the cookies go out and more of the vegetables, but not too much in fruit because it's all sugar. Uh, not they weren't saying already be prepared that your child is going to be. But that's when they start saying, now as a parent, you need to make those choices as to how your children are going to grow up in the society where it's fat or it's skinny. Or So we had to make the choice as a parent, how are we going to stop this from happening? Looking at me. Maybe that's why he said it more openly to me because he saw me and he knew my struggles and he was trying to prepare me. What could happen having a child who has a mother who is in that category of being obese? But you are correct about the activity thing. I posted a link from Global News in our Left of the Valley Facebook group uh, yesterday or the day before, and it's entitled uh, Canadians' Children Get a D in Activity. Mm. So the amount of physical activity that kids are getting now compared to you know when my parents were kids, even when I was a kid, same story as Connie. I was always outside. That's anecdotal. But the webs, the the link that I posted is like an actual government rating that kids are way less active than they used to be. Oh, it's true, and I I don't know if you guys know. I mean, I have my my eldest daughter is close to graduating. Uh, they have to congratulations. <laughs> Uh, they have to take physical education up to the end of grade 10. Grade 11 and grade 12, it is, it's, it's no longer, you could pick it as an elective, but you don't have to take it. However, in order to graduate, you actually have to fill out as a parent, and we have to send into the school every three months as a physical activity log. And the parents, we have to sign it and say, yes, my child did 30 minutes of activity on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. If they don't get that at the end of grade 11 or at the end of grade 12, your child does not graduate high school. And that that is government. Does that mean that you're going to be in charge of Savannah's uh, fitness uh, for graduation? Well, we are kind of getting away with it because of her accident, because it's harder for her to move. Yeah, of course. Um, But we are able to show that she is walking from our house to the bus stop and bus stop 
and she got hit by a car, right? She got hit Just by a so car. Just so people know, because you said accident. Yeah, so. she got hit by a car. She lost her left kneecap. Um, so now it's it's a Poor struggle. Kid. It's it's been tough. It's been almost a year. It's been tough. She's what seventeen? She'll be seventeen this year. Yeah. It's it's been so she's got she has being a teenage girl being hit by a car, um, family life, and and now she's locking herself in a room and not being active. It's a lot for a kid. It's and I'm worried about. And I try to keep telling her in a very calm and rational way that I don't want her to do what I did. I've since from just bring her to the studio. We'll call her. <laughs> we'll put her through the paces. She'll be sweating by the time she's out of here. Oh, it's, it's it's tough. I'm trying to do the best I can because I don't want to have children who are obese. I started weight loss at, at 37 years old and I lost 130 pounds, but it took Whoa. me five and a half years to do that. 130 pounds. 130 pounds. And that's like oh. a, that's and like that's a teenager. That's like two. But you kept it off. The, the main thing is that you kept it off. Trying to. Yeah, you're but. trying to keep. Well, but you're not. You didn't gain back 130. No, pounds. no, 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 no. no, 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 no. 130 no. pounds in Canadian currency. That's like 260 dollars, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot. It's, it's that's a, a it's, lot. It's hard work. So you're, but you're doing something right, and your kids ought to be able to see that it works when you I'm stick hoping, to it. Right? And, I, and I don't want, I don't want any child to have to live their entire childhood, adolescence, going to the twenties and thirties, and then go, aha, I need to do this now. Because when you're thirty years old and, or thirty-five years old, and you're trying to do it compared when you're fifteen, oh, it's a way tougher. <laughs> oh my goodness! If I had a metabolism of a fifteen-year-old, I would be, oh my god, I would be supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> With the efforts you're putting in now. Oh, well, not so much. <laughs> these days um but uh so let's go back to some of these quotes here that i found because we've we've gone off topic uh, well not off topic actually before we go back to these quotes there and off topic i got i'm late for a commercial break so let's it's gonna be a quick one we'll be right back right after this If you want to do some good this year and help your fellow humans, check out the Women's Resource Society of the Fraser Valley. The Women's Resource Society is a secular, feminist, non-profit organization providing help to women and children in Mission and Abbotsford. They have been providing safe refuge for women and children who need shelter as well as support and information since 1984. So if you want to help bring awareness to women, youth and children who are experiencing violence or who are at risk of homelessness, or in need of support, check out wrsfv.ca. Again, if you want to donate or get involved, check out wrsfv.ca. You're listening to Left at the Valley on CIVL 101.7 FM. All right, we're back. Sorry for interrupting you like that, Connie, but, you know, I have to do due diligence here. <laughs> no worries. All right, back to where we were. Okay, so, where was I, where was I? Okay, so research has demonstrated that excess, excess weight puts children at risk for a range of preventable, preventable health problems, including type 2 diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease, joint problems, and mental health issues. Um, so, again, this goes back to health, exercise, um, depression which as a teenager i think a majority of teenagers have have 
not mental health issues, but the depression. And I think having the weight doesn't help. I know it didn't help me. I don't think it's helping my, my kids, but we have to do what we can as, as adults. Um, where was my next one? So what are school lunches doing? Is there a, um, that's an another attempt thing. In, in, in the schools to provide the kinds of lunches that contribute toward good nutrition and well, when we lived, healthy weight? When we lived in Burnaby, um, this was about seven years ago. That's um, not your fault, by the way. What, living in Burnaby? Yeah, it's not your fault. Oh, okay, okay. Um, the, the, the school <laughs> that the kids went to, they actually offered a hot lunch program, and it was 40 bucks a month or something, and they actually served really, really nutritious lunches. We moved to Coquitlam, and this is before they started middle school. They were still in elementary school, and there was no such thing. They would bring in hot dog day Friday, pizza day. So, again, it was nothing. They weren't. It gets even worse than that because these schools are so strapped for cash, and now they're signing deals with companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and McCain Fries, and all of a sudden you see these vending oh, machines. Yeah. Um, but then my eldest daughter, she did her first three years of middle school before she went off to high school. Um, when she went to middle school, they had a cafeteria, and they served pierogies, the French fries. Um, so sometimes I would give them money if I was rushed to make lunch because I knew what I was packing. They were getting nutritious lunches. Um, and then by the time my youngest one got to middle school, they had the cafeteria for a year. And I think, I don't know if it was more for being conscious about the weight problem or budgetary constraints. Cafeteria was closed and they actually took out the vending machine. So they didn't have any access anymore to the Coke machines and the chocolate bars and the chips. Oh, boy, there was an uproar with the kids. Yeah. It's not fair. We don't have this anymore. Uh, my oldest daughter, who goes to a high school, they do have a cafeteria. All the food, though, is cooked by the students in grade 11 and grade 12 foods. I don't know the quality of the food, but they've got pulled pork Thursdays. It can't be have... worse than my cooking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've tasted it. And Taco <laughs> Tuesdays. and <laughs> Taco Tuesdays. But across the street from their high school is a Starbucks and a McDonald's. There you go. So guess where they're going at lunchtime? Exactly. Even though I'm packing lunch, guess where they're going at lunchtime? So I can't be with my kids 24 hours a day. I pack a lunch, and I'm assuming that they're eating their lunch, but they're not eating their lunch. I think that's a real problem because you can do everything you can to, to try and, uh, regardless of your weight, you want to know that you're eating well, that you're yeah. eating nutritious food. Steer and them in the right direction. Empty, empty and calories, and yet everybody promotes this, but the reality is that it doesn't happen in the schools, and it's difficult to spend days eating your, the chips and the tacos and the pulled pork, and then you say, no, no, it's it's veggies and hummus, you know. What really bothers on. me is is the schools, they institute these areas where you can't smoke over past the parking lot, or if you got, you know, you get caught smoking pot in the parking lot. Why or are you bathroom? looking at me when you said that? <laughs> she's looking at me too, so obviously she's... Uh, I'm the one guy know. who probably doesn't smoke in the studio, and uh, she's looking at me right away. I, know. I don't have my glasses on, so I don't know where to look. But yet, they're, they're, they're putting a school, or, or they don't care if the kids are going across the street to going to the McDonald's. So as, 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 as the educators, they should be not banning, but doing more of an effort to, to at least serving the kids healthy food. If they're putting all this emphasis on the smoking and the marijuana then they should be doing a better job of, of, of advocating proper nutrition. I can only do so much as a parent. Any of us can only do so much. Yeah, But, but we're know, not doing enough. You know what's no, going to happen I'm, here. Exactly. I'm on, I'm on your side. There, there should be the support 
of the the institutions that are promoting it they ought to yeah but you know what's going to happen nancy they're going to say you know if the government needs to start babysitting your kids uh, and the school teachers need to do more work to babysit your kids to make sure they eat right we have to raise your taxes and then the whole population is going to go no Right? It's, it's a com- I think what Connie's getting at is it's very complex. I agree. It's, it's very difficult you know, for parents exactly. to be able to, to get this done. It's, I mean, I know the teachers realize it that, uh, because they, they see it every single day, but the kids who have the weight problems and they go across the street to eat, they're the kids that get bullied. The teachers don't pay attention to the bulliers because they don't want to spend extra time listening to, to more problems of the kids. So then the kids who are, it's, it's just, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just a vicious, vicious cycle. And if the kids get bullied, they go home. Then those kids who are overweight and are going home because they're being bullied, they open up their cupboards and they're eating more and more again. They're going to get, they're, they're going to have the problems as adults. It just, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that we don't have enough support to help these kids. And... It's, it's not being seen as a problem. That's why. It is a problem. No one it is a problem. One third of Canadians between the ages of two and 17 are overweight I'm, or obese. I'm not disagreeing with you. Oh, I know. I know. Um, I know. I just get too passionate about it. I just, yeah, it just bothers me. Easy. <laughs> I have so much to add to this. So you just give me, tell me when. I think I have three minutes or two <laughs> minutes. I'm really not going to read from my notes anymore because we've said enough. Um, enough of the notes. Yeah, enough of the notes. We, we know that there's a problem. There's a problem when it comes to, to the kids medically, emotionally, and we just need to do more. And they keep on, the government is saying, okay, that they have to prove we did this with them and there's this much education, but as a medical system, what are we doing to help the kids? What are we doing? There should be nutritionists going into the schools and teaching the kids. They're not doing that. They spend more money on bringing in a cheerleader team or, or talking about stupid stuff. Let's have a nutritionist come in and talk to the kids about what should be, what they should be eating and how to deal with stress instead of opening up a fridge. They don't do any of that stuff. Well, other countries seem to be able to manage, you know, better than we do. Scandinavian countries, they don't have, and, you know, it would be nice, you know, eventually to model, you know, Mm -hmm. our systems. What is the name of the chef now that that comes, that English chef that comes into various... Jamie Oliver? Yeah, he comes into school systems and and helps them revise revise the the menus. I don't know how well he, they maintain it after he leaves, but I think he's one of the people that really is trying to. I saw somewhere make a on, on the news or something. He went to some of the schools in the south and exactly, and they took out the deep fryers and they took out anything that would promote bad cooking. We need to have that here. Yes. And the kids dumped it all in the trash yeah. for the first two weeks, but then they got hungry and tried it and said, you know, it's not as bad as we thought. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a change to your system. But that I'll, I'll stop my rant now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Connie, for all that. Um, Tyler, my friend, uh, you today are having a spotlight, right? Yeah, not really. Not really? <laughs> no. I'm well, just, you're doing it anyway. I'm just going to kind of rant here, and then you guys can jump in. You get, I just played the music for Spotlight, and you tell me uh, you don't have a Spotlight. Uh, I just kind of do whatever the hell I want to do, and if you don't like it, eh, what uh, do you <laughs> But is, I will. This but is the way I drink. But I, yeah, but I will talk about uh, Lauren Cordain. Has anybody ever heard of him? No. Okay, so he has a PhD in exercise physiology. Uh, he's a professor professor at uh, Colorado State University. He popularized the paleo diet back in like 2002. Oh, I remember that. Okay, so he wrote the book. Uh, it's called Paleo Diet and kind of came up with the logic that uh, we have evolved to eat a certain way and everything has kind of gone to shit since the agricultural revolution, which 
I kind of agree with. There's a little bit of a naturalistic fallacy there, and I think that some of the paleo promoter people try to apply one rule to everybody, and they act like there was one paleo diet, which there really would have been numerous paleo diets, right? Because we're kind of scattered all over the place. Yes. Uh, there's a TED Talk called Paleo Diet Debunked. It doesn't actually debunk it. It just kind of says that there wasn't just, you know, one paleo diet or, or whatever. But anyways, um, I don't eat paleo. I would love to. I probably should, but I don't. Paleo? You don't eat paleo? Oh, I smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and drink beer and eat frozen burritos, so... Wait a minute, isn't that, <laughs> that, isn't that a corn-based meal? Th- no, that's polenta, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the caveman diet, as they call oh, it. Okay, now I get it. So anyway, so I've done a whole bunch of research in the last, like, 12 hours. I didn't really sleep at all. <laughs> um, all, my research <laughs> all my research is coming from stanford.edu and... Uh, PubMed, Public Medical, with Med, uh, Medical, which is ncbi.gov. So, and I can provide sources for that. But what I've learned in the last little while is that they took all those famous diets out there and kind of competed them against each other. Ooh, and, and Battle that, Royale. That's the thing that I posted that I tagged you in at three o'clock in the morning. Oh. Okay. <laughs> And there's there's some some patterns with it. Uh, they've debunked quite a bit of myths. Uh, one of the old myths was, you know, you have to have a low fat. And I'm talking healthy fat, like monounsaturated, polyunsaturated. I'm not talking like trans fats or whatever. But um, it's a myth. Like they tried to link it to being, you know, heart disease and all these things. And it's been long debunked by, you know, professionals and, and whatnot. But anyway, so they... So was there even a correlation or the whole thing is just... No, no. They had 22 different countries and the guy decided to pick six of them that had a high fat diet and high heart rate disease. Cherry picking it. Well, yeah. It was total fraud. It was ridiculous. But anyways, the the correlation that they have noticed is that having a low carb diet is what actually works. Um, It was the Atkins diet that did the best out of all of the diets that were out there. Uh, really? But, yeah, abso- absolutely. And I we, tried it. It doesn't work. Yeah, we used to think he was a quack. Most people can't stay with it, but... Um, but the, even the founder himself died overweight and... Uh, yeah, most people don't stick with it. So uh, another one of the things with the Atkins diet is that he recommends you drink eight glasses, of eight ounces of water a day, mm-hmm. and that actually makes you eat less. So that might have actually been part of it. So the only other diet that did better than the Atkins diet was the paleo diet. And that was in relation to weight loss, as well as things like cardiovascular disease and heart disease and all these other things. But I'm going to try to focus on uh, weight loss here mostly. And I think there's a, a false dichotomy as to whether it's environment or genetics. It's both, right? I mean, they have studies where they have somebody like me who is unusually thin, I guess you would say. <laughs> <laughs> and... You can have two people on the exact same diet, the exact same portion, the exact same exercise, the exact same everything. And one person won't gain any weight and the other one will get fat. And it's because they're, uh, it's, it's insulin resistant and, and it's basically carb sensitive. There was this really interesting uh, study that they did back in 1950 where they put this guy on a meat and vegetable diet. So, you know, like steak and broccoli. And he lost 50 pounds very, very, very quickly. And then they started giving him one apple a day, and he started gaining the weight back. Interesting. Yeah, so it's, it is definitely genetic and definitely environmental, but pe- there's all, all these weird myths about it that it's calories in and calories out. 
that kind of thing. People just go with the national average, which is like 2,000 calories, 2,500 calories or whatever. But they don't realize that you can have, you know what a rest metabolism is? No. It's how many calories you would burn if you stayed in bed for 24 hours. Like if you were in a coma, just to, you know, run your breathing and your heart rate and all this other stuff. You can have one person who their rest metabolism, they need a thousand calories. And another person who their rest metabolism is 2000 calories. You put them on the exact same exercise regimen, the exact same diet, everything. And one person will stay the same or lose weight and the other person will be putting on weight. So there is this myth that all these fat people are eating at McDonald's every day and it's their fault, even though they're trying to eat healthy. So they've come up with this thing. It's the uh, basically the carbohydrate pyramid. And they, you know, kind of start at the the bottom with like vegetables and like brown rice and potatoes and go all the way up. This is the glycemic index. Have you heard of that? So yes. Yeah. Spikes your insulin or whatever. And then all the way at the top is like fruit roll up and candies and all that kind of stuff. So basically what they're suggesting is that all these studies don't really help if you don't know who's carb sensitive and who's not, right? Even if they're all on the exact same diet. So it's kind of case by case. You can't just have the Canadian food guide eat this many, you know, grains. And some people can't eat grains. Some people eat grains, they'll get sick or they'll pack on the weight and then I can eat grains all day long and I won't gain a pound even if I'm trying to. So we're basically saying that there is no standard. It really is to each his own. Well, and you really have to experiment with yourself and you, your body. You can get tested for certain things like insulin resistance and then you'd have to kind of base your diet that way. But the Canadian Food Guide and like the American Food Guide, it wasn't tested thoroughly. It was like a bunch of people sitting around saying, you oh, know, what's common sense? That kind of thing, right? So it was supposed to be taken with a grain of salt, but too much salt is bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that too. So that's the idea is that you just kind of have to find out what it is. And a lot of people think they're eating healthy and they can't figure out why they're still overweight. And they try all these diets that you just can't stick with. I mean, you probably could just eat vegetables and take supplements and you'd lose weight. But are you going to stick with that? How many people are going to go on a just a vegetable diet and be able to stick with it for a year or two? No, it's what, not me. <laughs> you, can't, you can't even do it. Diets don't make sense. It has to be like a lifestyle. It has to be a way that you can eat the rest of your life. Otherwise, you're going to do it for a year or two or whatever and then go back. So that's my opinion is that there are people who are very carb sensitive. Maybe Connie's very carb sensitive. Maybe her family is. And then people like me who aren't at all. I, I drink weight gainer shakes and I still couldn't put on weight. I was like, what the hell? Can we he take bar- him up bag and flog him? <laughs> <laughs> he barely has a third dimension. If you turn but him sideways, you kind of lose him there. There are just so many of these studies that just show that the way that we're approaching this is absolutely ridiculous. So what they're kind of suggested is that you go on a lean meat because wild meat is not as fat as domesticated meat. There's way more fat on like cows and stuff. What about wild bacon? <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you look at hunter gatherers, they don't have this issue, right? They actually took some uh, overweight women with diabetes in Australia and took them out to the bush and made them hunt their own food. So they were eating, you know, plants and wild meat, and their diabetes went away. That's crazy. Mm. Does that make? Yeah. So it. I think that's just it. We're trying to apply one rule to everybody, saying everybody has to eat this way. Blah blah blah. And it just doesn't work that way. Well, that's a so Connie, have you found a, a way to accommodate for 
all the, the different ways that people um, uh, pack on weight or lose weight so that you can cook one meal and not have to feel as though, oh my gosh, now I've got to tailor this to, to everybody in addition to my life, you know? Cooking. Usually I cook for the kids and the husband and I usually eat something completely different. Just because I can't eat a lot of the foods that the kids are eating, they love pasta, I can't eat pasta. They love rice, I can't eat rice. They love the, the steak and potatoes, I can't eat that stuff. So I'd rather just worry about cooking for two or three people and then eat something that I can eat. Are you on like a no-carb diet or a low-carb diet? or Just really calorie counting, low-fat, and low-carb. So what if everybody ate the way you did? Then my whole family would be nice and skinny. Yeah. But I'm still not there yet. But okay. again, I don't want to. I don't want the kids to to suffer nutritionally just because I can't eat pasta, even if it's the the, the brown rice, the brown pasta. I well, still want them to eat the, good. But there's small really not portions. much nutrition in that, anyways. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you get more fiber from vegetables plus oh, micro yeah. micronutrients as well. So it's, the, enough, it's tough. It's yeah. tough. The low carb is good though. You're way nicer than my mother because my mom went on a diet. Everybody went on a diet, <laughs> and that takes us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for everybody for being with us. Thank you, Connie. It's that great report, Tyler. Thank you so much. Uh, coming around, uh, we, like we said, we have Deborah from Beyond the Trailer Park. They'll be joining us next week. We also have Russell Glasser and Tracy Harris from the Atheist Experience coming on the pipe, as well as a Sasquatch hunter. Another announcement, we also have Phil Ferguson of Polaris Financial, who also does the Phil Ferguson Show. That's going to be coming to us and talking about skepticism in economics and remember may 1st next sunday alzheimer's walk burnaby nine o'clock is registration please be there <laughs> you can catch us at leftatthevalley.com on facebook on twitter thank you guys until next time Take